with that, we'll jump into the podcast. And I'm not going to use numbers on podcasts anymore because I've got into A's and B's and C's and D's now. It's getting a little bit crazy as I start stuffing them in between uh, pre-existing podcasts. The next one was supposed to be Tom and Sean in a rescue off of the coast of Georgia, but it, chances are it's going to be COVID-19 because this is a little more timely. So um, <laughs> without any further ado, we've got Tom Wood. We've got Jack Perry and we've got Craig McClure, all of multiple different fames on the podcast. And what we're going to be chatting about today is the topic that's on everybody's mind, COVID-19 and what the heck do I do about it or don't do about it. Tom was outstanding enough to send over a list of questions, as does Jack and Craig. And we're going to start with Tom's. And kind of make our way through them. And what we're hoping to get out of this podcast is maybe some thoughts out there for some folks about training and manufacturing and the next few months moving forward with this kind of pandemic that's swept across the world. So for those that don't know Tom, Tom is of multiple fames. I believe he still sits on iCar, Sprat. He's working for Harkin, also trains for Elevated, travels internationally, and so represents both a training company and a company that manufactures both in the United States and out of Italy. Jack represented Camp and does training, so a training company and represents a company that manufactures out of Italy and does distribution through Asia and the United States. And Craig represents a training company, so we're trying to hit all facets here. Did I miss anything, gents? No, uh, other than your other than your bio. I mean, come on, you're here. You might as well tell us who you are. No, I just stay anonymous on these things. <laughs> I put enough opinion down range. Yeah, we've got Ronan Rescue obviously uh, represented as well. And we've canceled, I want to say, 21 training courses right now, but up until May 1st, including five overseas assignments. So I think we're all getting hit here about this, you know, in some fashion or another. But um, starting off, I'm just going to throw this one out there. How are the first responders in your department being protected on calls? It was a question that came up. We posted a Facebook post on it the other day about London Fire Brigade having to share N95 masks or respiratory masks. I received offline emails from current paramedics and firefighters in the UK and the European Union who verify that story and are being told that they are sharing equipment at this point in time. So let's throw it out to you guys. I mean, you work with emergency services. Some of you are still or former emergency services. What are you hearing about? the shortage of supplies for first responders that currently exist? Uh, well, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, uh, my rescue team uh, is a mountain rescue team, all volunteers, or like we like to call them non-paid professional mountain rescuers. Uh, what we've basically got in place is, uh, first of all, public education. Uh, we know you want to get outside and get out of your house because you got cabin fever, but when you go, um, be extra careful because anytime any of us have to respond to even a twisted ankle you're putting us at risk and we're putting you at risk so we're working on the public education <laughs> side of that real hard 
additionally, we've made some internal decisions about calls that are go or no go. Um, if we can talk someone through, uh, uh, if they're lost, for instance, and they can hear the highway and they have cell coverage, um, believe it or not, we get a lot of calls like that. Uh, you know, we'll talk them through instead of responding um, and putting people at risk. So there's that. And then just who who should respond from us, uh, you know, as me being someone who was out of the country, getting a text from the CDC saying I should self-quarantine for 14 days. Uh, that makes it very difficult for me to cover my shifts that I'm supposed to be responsible for, for our rescue team. So we, we're still in the process of deciding how to handle that. Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts here for us to figure out. It's all new territory, and we're trying to do what's right, but also trying to have some common sense approach to this. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, what we're being told and what common sense is seem to be at odds sometimes. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough call for all of us right now. Well, I know from my end, um, people that don't know all my background, I still run professional fire. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I've uh, been a firefighter for 25 years and currently work as a captain on a heavy rescue in Metro Vancouver, one of the smaller departments there. Every second call for us is a suspected COVID-19 case. Basically, if you call 911 and you've traveled, have the sniffles, a headache, a sore throat, fever, respiratory problems, didn't know why you fell over. It's being treated as suspected COVID, which means we're showing up basically looking like we're going into bio-warfare. Um, and we're running through supplies because of this at a fairly phenomenal rate. Not yet, but there is discussions that if it's not a COVID case to start reusing the respirators and reusing some of the PPE. And the PPE is limited in the fire halls to a certain amount and we have to call the battalion chief when we get below a certain amount. So it's being rationed at this point in time. Jack or Craig, have you guys heard or seen anything in your travels? So I'm, this is Craig, I'm, I'm luckily right now, I guess, not on a team. I recently moved and I'm in the process of teaming up with someone. Um, I've actually been called, I've been, I've been asked if I, I was available for the, for the, for the county IMT, if, if we need to start ramping things up here. Who's sharpening a knife in the background? That makes me nervous as all get out. <laughs> you know who um, it is. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're concerned. Two counties north of us, which are only 40 miles, is um, the Telluride area right now is on um, complete home confinement lockdown. They're talking about shutting down the streets. Um, and my first question then when they called me was, was what's your available PPE? And they said, for that staff, we're not using it. And we have a huge shortage. I was talking to a friend who's an ER doc in Durango last night. He's scheduled to go back to work, and they're being told to bring bandanas. And his response was, unless you have at least an N95, I'm not even coming to work. So I, I, I'm with Tom. I think a lot of this comes down to public education. And, and to sound like kind of a jerk, to those people that went out and bought every mask they could find and started to hoard them, uh, go drop them off at the hospital. Drop them off at the fire station. Do something. Put them back in circulation where they can be used and, and get into the people who need them. I think PPE shortage is probably one of the biggest issues. And, Mark, you alluded to it. You guys are going to run out eventually. You just you can't have enough backstock right now. Well, I know in Europe they're asking people to, you know, basically make masks. So it's uh, it's an interesting time. I, 
we have some masks at Ronin that we've given out or sold back at regular retail prices, not the $300 a mask you find on Amazon to some of the folks that are on the front lines of this. But uh, I mean, our stores only had a couple hundred left in them as it was. So yeah, it's an interesting time from that. Uh, the next question that came up was, how has it affected your response protocols? Tom, I think you alluded to that, that you're actually changing up way, the way you're searching for people. Yeah, and um, the way that we would treat an injured subject is a lot different now, where we would you know, traditionally get lots of hands-on because we have to carry people for miles sometimes. Um, and we would try to figure out a way to limit the number of folks who actually have physical contact with a subject, um, you know, and that's going to be case by case, of course. Um, but it's just completely forcing us to rethink about how we do business. And, um, you know, I don't see that this is going to change anytime soon. So for, for us right now, we're in winter season, so we have a slower call volume. But, uh, you know, that's going to start picking up here in another month or so. So trying to sort out these problems while we're, you know, we're buried in snow here in Colorado right now. <laughs> about 20 inches here last, yesterday. But, um, so that's kind of fortunate for us. It's going to be team by team uh, kind of a thing, you know, and until we're specifically told by uh, our authority having jurisdiction to change our protocols, it's been left up to us individually to sort out our own issues with this. That's, uh, it's similar to what's happening here. So I still volunteer with the search and rescue team up where I live in the Okanagan. And uh, BC Search and Rescue Association has sent out many things trying to educate the public to you know don't go crazy out there don't be doing high-risk endeavors because you're are exposing a lot of people potentially to COVID-19 should we have to respond we've also got the as per our medical director on our team any people that are I think it's pretty much over 60 have been asked not to respond to any incidents at all they've basically <laughs> been told not to go <laughs> and cue the jokes about Jack. All right. <laughs> that was whatever whatever y'all guys want to go play, just let me know. <laughs> but uh hey, yeah, go ahead. Tom, Tom, can I ask you a question because you guys have you guys are a pretty high speed intelligent team. If you have discussions, especially heading into the warmer months, are you going to change your urgency matrix? Are you going to respond less? Uh, is is that going to come into play? Um, we'll re always respond when somebody needs us, but I think we're, we're working hard to educate the public what actually constitutes a real emergency um, so that we don't I – won't, I won't go out, go as far as calling them bullshit calls – but every team knows that we get bullshit calls. Um, and we all know when we see the page, you know, this person really is wants you someone to hold their hand. And it, it's a part of the reality of doing search and rescue that you end up a fair number of calls that are like that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be up to our mission coordinators to go with information as they got on hand and decide, can I talk this person through or can I give them an extra hour or, you know, do we still need to, you know, emergent or not, you know, things like that. So it's always going to be a case by case basis. And you just hope you always make the right decision, uh, you know, based on the information you have, but we're really hoping that the public, uh, gets, you know, their head in the game and really works on risk mitigation when they, 
backcountry and doesn't force us to make those decisions that we don't want to make. It brings up an interesting point. And I mean, I've been reading a lot of articles about COVID-19 and the issues that are going on with it and what have you. And it's uh, one of the articles I read is that it's starting to become very generational where they shut down 24 or 26 nightclubs or something like that in Berlin the other night, like a week ago on Friday, because that generation was still out there. I mean, they had a bench there who scrawled on apparently like the Corona bench. I think everybody's seen the videos up of the spring break in Florida up until they shut the beaches down. There's one kid famous there about uh, how the, you know, we saved up and studied all year. You can't cancel spring break. And yet, on the other hand, we have, you know, search and rescue team doctors telling people that of a, maybe of a higher risk uh, category not to attend search and rescue events. Um, you know, the fire departments are isolating people on a daily basis. There seems to be two very extreme um, responses to this particular pandemic. And as the weather gets better, if these you know, that the younger generation, you know, just call it as a generalization, starts hitting the backcountry and what have you. I don't see that there may not be a change in attitude or, um, you know, risk behavior based on what we're seeing now. Has anybody else got thoughts about that? Craig, Tom, Jack, silence. <laughs> uh, I think that you know, three teenagers here at home and, you know, we try to use common sense for explaining the things that are important and the things that they should be concerned about versus the things that are kind of based on not science or hysteria. And and I think just just the nature of people when you're young, you feel a lot more in, invulnerable, a lot more invincible. And, you know, when you hear people say, well, it's just like a, a, a severe cold and most people live through it in their mind, that gives them license to carry about their normal routines. Uh, and I think that's just normal for people who are younger. You just feel more invulnerable. That's why you, know, you, you join the military. You ideal age is 17 or 18. There's a reason for that. You know, you're not thinking yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your brain hasn't developed till you're about 26, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, that'll be an interesting thing once the summer hits. Jumping into the next topic, not to drop that one real quick, but uh, training companies. So are they being hit hard with canceled courses and tips for survival? Everybody here is involved in training to some aspect. As I mentioned at the beginning, I think we're into somewhere between 16 to 20 training courses canceled uh, on four different in four different countries at this point in time. And we don't see a relief on this until at least may 1st at this point in time so we're looking at six weeks where a good chunk of our revenue streams being affected by this um so here you know tips for survival what are they how are the rest of you guys managing this yeah mark mark i'll jump in here because this was this this is the meat of the conversation of why i wanted us why i wanted us to have this this talk um no, we're, I'm taking in the shorts here. There's, I mean, we, we survive on doing very high quality in-person instruction and we don't do a lot of it. So what we have right now is, is entirely put off. I mean, we'll get through it, 
I think it's the responsible, smart thing to, to put all this stuff off. Um, I think you might be optimistic in saying it comes back in May, but I want to hear other opinions. And, and what I'd love to get out of this, I'd love to get feedback from people listening that are on the purchasing side of training to tell us what do they want to see? How can we adapt? What could we do differently? What could we still provide? Um, rather than shut off all training, are there different things we could do to keep things moving forward? Or do we just need to put everything on ice for two or three months? And I'm not sure. Tom, Jack? Yeah, I'll jump in. I was, um, I was out at a uh, training facility two days ago and I talked to one of my dealers in uh, Safety One International here in, uh, in Littleton. And uh, they always let me come by and, and practice and play around when there's not any trainings going on. And I talked to them and they pretty much have rescheduled every training that they had for the last, for the next, I think, 30 days. Um, and th their, their place was empty, um, you know, and which was good because I went in by myself and had the whole place to myself. I didn't get close to anybody that was there. They were working with a small skeletal crew in the offices. Uh, there were no trainers, uh, none of their trainers that were in-house were there at all. Um, all their, most of their training, a lot of their training is travel, so that's been shut down as well. So they're, they're just trying to move everything off. I know that they had did a little advertisement saying that, you know, we stick to like an eight-to-one training uh, ratio where a lot of people do 10 to one. So they're trying to say, Hey, we're staying under the 10, but I think they've kind of like backed off on that. Um, and they're just not doing anything right now. I mean, next week they're completely empty. I'm going to go back there next week and, and do some, some training and pretty much personal training, but, uh, they, they're, they're worried. They don't have a solution for it. Um, and I just saw an email from Gravitech uh, yesterday, and, and they pretty much shut down everything. No, nobody in the facility, no training globally, none of their trainers can travel. Kind of the same what everybody's doing. Um, so it's something where I don't know. I mean, it's all, I, mean I, I can see something in, in a place like Gravitech or a place in a big city. <clears throat> Maybe you could offer one-on-one -on -one training, almost like the way the – you know, the, the sports industry does where if somebody's willing to pay $35 an hour, $50 an hour, they can get one-on-one -on -one training if you're able to do that and, and, and still keep the distance. And honestly, I would rather pay $200 for a day and have one-on-one -on -one training and then pay $500 for a week. Uh, and you're just kind of like spread out and you get a little bit here, a little bit there. So I don't know if that's something that moving forward that some of these training companies could look at as more of a one-on-one -on -one type thing and keep the distance as they're doing the training. Uh, rope access, you're kind of away from everybody except for rescue. Um, but that's just some, some things that uh, popped up uh, a couple of days ago. Right on. There's uh, some comments I have on that, but I'll let Tom weigh in first, Tom. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, for elevated safety, the majority of our trainings are done up in Chicago at the public uh, NIPSTA facility there, which has closed. So, you know, we ran out space there and used their facility. And now that they're closed, you know, we have to postpone classes like that. But it's the reality of things. Um, I, I'm not optimistic that, you know, 30 days is going to be the end of this. Um, but I do think that um, 
you know, based on what kind of training you do, that can definitely dictate what you're doing in the, for the class. For instance, like Jack mentioned, you know, from here on out, I would imagine for quite a while, instead of doing pickoffs with two people, we're going to be hoisting mannequins up into the air and, you know, your one-on-one, you know, with your six foot distance of personal space time will be spent with a mannequin instead of a sweaty person between your legs. So I, th- I think that'll be one thing that'll change, you know, um, you know, you have to give students the opportunity if they're not feeling well to uh, reschedule. You don't want them coming to course and infecting a whole class. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just going to be tough for all of us that do training to survive through this. It's going to be very difficult. Um, I imagine the minute that it's clear and you get a green light, we're all going to be buried for months. But, you know, um, I, that would be a nice problem to have at this point because I know. Uh, a lot of folks that I know that work in rope and rescue and have, you know, regular hourly income that they depend on, they're, they're out of work right now and they will be for the foreseeable future. So, and it will definitely get worse before it gets better. So, you know, it's just going to be something we all have to scratch our heads and get together and come up with a solution that, that works for people. Um, you know, the skills that we have are perishable and the things that we do with rope, um, you know, it's nice to get a refresher online and watch something once in a while just to keep your head in the game, but there's no substitute for kinesthetic learning when it comes to this stuff. No, that's interesting. And I mentioned the 30 days and I don't mention it because I think the government's going to open everything up in 30 days. I mention it based on some of the comments that have been made here of these are perishable skills. There are also you know, limits to qualification times. And a lot of, you know, SPRATs and a lot of other organizations have allowed those limits to, you know, be exceeded at this point in time. However, a lot of the people we're training are also critical infrastructure. They're fire, they're police. These people are still doing this job on a daily basis, which means at some point, whether the qual has expired legally or not, there is going to be some due diligence to ensure that the training is up to date. And there's been some interesting points here about, you know, keeping six feet apart, more use of mannequins, being able to be more flexible with postponements, uh, lesser training classes uh, in size, um, you know, working with more people in the critical infrastructure, because those things still have to go out every day. They still need to work. And I mean, Heck, you can get really silly at this point and say Costco damn near is critical infrastructure with toilet paper. But, you know, when you look at it from the reality of the point of view, the fire, the paramedics, the police, you know, your military, emergency first responder crowd in 30 days from now, it's going to be 45, 60 days since any training was done. And to the people that employ those individuals, I ask you safer to send them in a group of their own of six or eight to a single instructor and do training than it is to put them on the street and respond to calls on a daily basis. Absolutely. You know, maybe that bit of education needs to get out there as well. It's safer to come to my shop right now than it is to go on the street. Yeah, and, and I think I think you can have really simple like the, the mannequin concerns me, right? We're all we're all on rope, we're all sweaty. Um, some of us are, are thinking so hard, we're drooling while we're up there with this mannequin. Um, I mean, you, you 
put a plastic bag over the mannequin and strip it off and put a new one on for the next patient. I mean, next, next rescuer. There are lots of things you can do in your facility to control it. I think I'm also looking at this as like a 30 day, 90 day, and then an 18 month problem. Cause I don't think we're going to be on the other side of this and free and clear socially for about 18 months. I think in 30 days, we'll start to see some restrictions lift. Um, and probably 60 to 90 days, what I'm reading is when we'll, st- when we'll, we'll be less worried about public reinfection. So uh, my big question, I've heard some guys. Lost you, Craig. We lose everybody or just Craig? I'm still, I'm still here. here. Okay. Craig's squirrels in Colorado must have fallen off the spin wheel to keep the internet. I'm, I'm here. Did I, did I completely drop away? Yeah, you dropped away. So you need to start again from uh, about a, 30 seconds ago. <laughs> what, what was the last thing you understood me say? Was it mannequins and plastic bags? Yeah, and 30, 60, and then 18 months. Yeah, so kind of this 30, 60, 18 month problem. Um, I think in 30 days, we'll start to see some of the restrictions lift. Um, you know, 60 to 90 days, um, I think we'll see some of the the public reinfection issues um, dissipate and people will start to move around more freely. But what I'm reading is we shouldn't, we aren't on the other side of this in free and clear for probably 18 months on the infection cycle. So for that 60, 60 day to 18 month time, should we all be looking to reschedule our training and rejigger so we're looking at small groups of four to six people? And is that viable in the market? Are people going to are people going to pay for classes that are small and put people back in training? That's a fairly and I'm gone. question. <laughs> Sorry, I talked over someone there. Someone was going to say something. Okay. Um, Tom, no, none of us are brave enough to talk over you. Oops, I just did it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Tom brought up another interesting point, too, is, I mean, it, it sounds silly now when you're staring down the barrel of the gun, but the return and the capacity that that has. I mean, you look at the number of training courses that even just our organization has canceled or postponed. If all of that training goes ahead, we will be almost to the point of swamped when this ends. As every week goes by and we push another training course out, it's going to get to the point where capacity at the end of this is certainly going to be an issue. And I'd suspect it's probably the same with Elevated and some of the camp training and with uh, Cracker Jack as well. Yep. And I think what people miss in this is that you know, for businesses, lost revenue is lost revenue in time. And in order to make it back is you're, you're right on, Mark. Um, we're going to be slammed to recover from this. Um, and if we don't, if we can't rebook or people don't reengage, um, it, it's, it, it's not really recovery. It's a restart, if that makes sense. In a way, it does. Jack, anything to add? No, pretty much uh, everything that you're saying is pretty much true. It's going to it's gonna come all at once, and it's just something, hey, I guess it's better than not, not coming at all. at all. Yeah. Um, the next question I throw out here, and it wasn't on the list, 
government bailouts. And I mean, we're talking from two different sides of the 49th parallel here. I know in Canada, small business, there is no government bailout. Um, they're willing to have me offset my federal GST tax, goods and services tax, by basically three months, but my next payment's not due till the end of May anyways. And if I keep staff on the payroll, I can push out my source, or I can reduce my source deductions by 10%, but my next source deductions isn't due until the middle of April. So there's not like they're handing out cash, and I just, you know, I want that to get out there to the public that, and it's not just us, this is any small business, or even medium business for that matter. I mean, the airlines are lining up looking for bailouts, and there's They'll get them. mom and pops out there that are not getting basically anything. The government still wants all that money. They're just willing to wait six months to get it from me. Um, and it's really not that much of a relief. Is there what's going on in the States for small business? Are you guys getting any more relief down there? Right now, it, it's hard to say. Everybody has lots of ideas uh, and you read different politicians throwing out different things, but you know, who knows which ones will stick, you know, um, it will, this will definitely have a dramatic effect on the world's economy. And again, you know, we're all in it together. So we're all trying to sort this out as it's happening. And I think it's going to be a pretty dramatic change from life as we knew it, you know, a month ago. So while we're on that point, we're getting right off the topic of rescue is the cure worse than the disease. Is the destruction of the world's economy by 10% worth the saving of 100,000 lives? That's a pretty big topic, Mark. I don't know if I want to go there on a... On a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll go ahead and say I, I have no comment at all on that. That's a good way to get uh, tarred and feathered for sure. This is... It's great. Every time I'm on one of these with Mark, I wait for him to drop the bomb that he hasn't warned you about, and we just found it. And there's no way I'm going near it. Not a chance. Oh, well, you know what? I throw it out there to everybody I chat with, and it's interesting because obviously it comes from your place in life. Um, the closer you are to the poverty line, the more impacted you are by this. And as that poverty line seems to rise, the more impact that it has with people, I'm seeing opinions change when I talk to people about this, even day by day now. And, you know, I'm not talking about the opinion of, oh, I can't get my Starbucks coffee anymore. You know, there's a lot of restaurants and stuff now that, you know, franchise owners that are laying off staff and there's a negative effect that's occurring as we speak. And I'm not saying that that's worth X number of lives. Like, I'm not going to jump down that rabbit hole either. But it does make for an interesting conversation. So yeah, you're I mean, saying I mean, you won't jump down it, but you're willing to watch us jump down it. No, I was just seeing what the response was. If you guys made a response, I'm willing to weigh in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we, one of the, we all, go ahead, Craig. Uh, I, I'm going to say that you know um, we're seeing manufacturers of life safety equipment shutting their doors, like you know, for instance, Petzl. Uh, shut down manufacturing in France. And does that affect anybody outside of Petzl right now? Not too much, but in six months when you know somebody needs to buy a piece of gear that they can't get now because it doesn't exist, 
um, yeah, there's a trickle down effect that affects the people that, you know, we are hopefully trying to help or rescue. And um, I think that's going to be something that as, as time goes on and we're working in the businesses that we all work in, that's what we're going to see happening is, you know, it takes a little while for things to reach down to the level of the normal person. And when we're doing rescues of normal people and we don't have the tools available to us that we did before all this, it's, it's going to be very impactful. And I think, you know, there's a loss of income. We're all worried about that right now, but down the road, what that also means is it's going to be a loss of equipment that's available to us to use to help save lives. And that's something we have to take very seriously and think about how we do business and workarounds really. It brings up two interesting points actually that kind of spear off on each other, Tom is one is the, decontamination of hardware and soft goods currently if they do get exposed and is that decontamination just destruction which is going to create a economy for more equipment to be brought into the system yet as you mentioned pencils shut down and i was going to ask you and jack about both harkin and camp in regards to their manufacturing processes in a second but if the the manufacturers slowed or shut down production and we cannot decontaminate properly and have to destroy at some point there's going to be a glut of equipment that's not available yeah definitely yeah yeah i mean i'll, I'll jump in um our uh, we have two plants in china uh, they were down pretty quickly when uh when it started hitting china pretty bad so those plants were closed, um, and from my understanding, from just a couple of weeks ago, kind of when China kind of got over the hump and started sending people back to work, uh, our two plants in China were back back running normally. Um, it did put us about 30 days behind in production. So, I mean, I'm happy with 30 days, and that's all there is. Um, so we're we're back running. The biggest thing is now it's, it's not production, it's distribution, it's getting the product. Um, you know, in Italy, uh, and we know how bad Italy is, they've, they've actually passed China in deaths as of like yesterday. Um, and I have a lot of friends in Italy uh, and talk to the uh, some Italian people every day, two or three different ones. And, uh, you know, camp shut down about a week ago in, in Italy. Permana's way up in the mountains, um, pretty much isolated. I believe there's no cases or maybe only one case in Pramana. Um, pretty much the mayor said shut down every business there. Um, so all the camp people who can work from home are working from home. Uh, there was, uh, my understanding was there's a small skeleton crew in, in the shipping area who is shipping some products as need be. But, uh, you know, they're they're down for the next 10 days. Uh, then they're going to reevaluate and see where it, what it looks like in the next, you know, 10 days from now, if they're going to send some people back into the office. Uh, I mean, it's hard to design product and run R and D and testing when you're in your home, you really much can't do it. So those, those engineers and designers are going to run out of work to do here shortly because they don't have the uh, facilities to do the job they need to do. So that's going to put us even farther behind in long-term projects and even short-term projects that might want to be ready to hit the market uh, late 2021 to 2021, those are going to get bumped. And it could be bumped 30 days, it could be bumped six months. Um, 
And I've already having dealers call me asking about, are we shipping? Do we have product? What's it going to look like in two months? Um, I, and I'm saying, hey, I've got product now. Uh, a lot of our stuff is pre-ordered in containers and large air shipments. Um, it's just, are, are the planes going to fly to bring those over? That's going to be an issue right there. Uh, you know, ships, things like that. So it's the distribution of the product and getting the product to ship out to people. Um, it's just something we're going to have to deal with. I mean, the, the one thing is I feel like in the safety and rescue market, we're kind of not in the luxury retail climbing market. Uh, these are products that people need for a job as long as they're going to be able to go out and do that job. Uh, and, you know, the contamination thing, I don't really know what what's going to entail there, how that's going to work. I mean, I'm thinking people get in a bad situation in a rescue. They're just going to throw everything away um, and, and rebuy. Um but, you know, I think with the safety, I think we just got to weather the storm and get through it as, as manufacturers and distributors because uh, it's, it's, it's gear that people need to make a live and do a job where I think what's go what we're looking at, because we're a climbing company as well, is uh, the, you know, the fallout of people not buying new climbing gear, not going climbing, uh, REI closing, you know, shutting the doors, um, you know, I saw something the other day, Patagonia. Patagonia shut down. You want to go, you want to order Patagonia online? Feel free, but you're not getting it. Um, so it's, that type of stuff is going to affect us uh, for a while. Tom, anything from the Harkin front? Yeah. Um, you know, main manufacturing facilities in Wisconsin. And um, there we've kind of altered the way that we make things now. We have two different shifts. Um, all office staff are trying to work from home, uh, like Jack said, but uh, production-wise, we've split shifts now and um, left a buffer of time in between shifts so the decon can happen at certain areas, you know, restrooms and things like that. And, uh, we do have manufacturing in Italy, which um, when all of this started, they started to uh, ramp up and stock up on supplies. Like Jack said, it's not making things it's a problem it's getting things and getting rid of things you know through distribution networks um so they kind of prepared for that a little bit so right now we have virtually no effect on um, anything that we make and getting it out there uh whether it will reach the places where it's supposed to go down the road that's a whole other question but uh yeah it's definitely uh something that has changed the way we're doing business and we hope that Whatever we're doing is working and keeping our people safe and all of that, because that's, you know, definitely number one. But the, the catch, of course, is, is the longer this goes on, the more difficult it gets because you know, people will run out of money to buy products and blah, blah, blah. So we just hope that, you know, however this all plays out, that it's not too impactful on on everybody's, you know, bottom line, you know, and health, of course, as well. Okay, so that's interesting. So kind of to summarize what we're looking at thus far is a lot of the larger companies have made some business redundancies and have had some operational planning in place to ensure that they could weather a short-term storm, but the distribution networks that are used to move the products worldwide have all been shuttered due to the government basically closing borders down. So mm -hmm. while products are there maybe a bit delayed on the manufacturing end it's going to be the distribution and supply of those products that are going to create the biggest headache is that my understanding yeah definitely yeah yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go with that for sure mark 
Okay. So the second part of this was, what are the CDC's recommendations to clean hard gear and soft gear? I know uh, Rob came out with something the other day about cleaning stuff that went online. And uh, I mean, is there any is there any guidelines out there right now? I, I don't know. I don't know of anything. Um, I haven't really looked into that. I mean, we know what what we say for for cleaning PPE, but that could be way different. I mean, it's mainly natural soap, warm water, um, and I believe you know natural soap and warm water is what we're going to wash your hands with. Um, so I don't know what uh, CDC is going to recommend, but as long as you're washing your gear especially soft goods, um, not, you know, ropes, harnesses, things like that, and you're not putting them in the sunlight to dry. Um, you're good on the product, but is that good enough to get rid of the virus? I mean, I was reading stuff this morning, and they're saying that the virus can live 24 hours on a piece of cardboard. You know, so, you know, it's stuff comes in cardboard. You know, it's being shipped in boxes from from Italy, from China, from wherever it might be. You know, we're touching it and we're shipping it and the UPS, UPS guy's touching it and he's sending it to Canada or whatever. So, you know, it's just how far does it go? Do we all start wearing, um, you know, rubber gloves? But uh, for hard goods, kind of for, for, you know, for metal goods, it's kind of the same thing. But I don't know what the recommendations are unless you guys in the uh, first responder group might know way more than me. Yeah, Mark, all the all the recommendations I'm seeing are just rehashes of basic bloodborne pathogen cleaning. I haven't seen anything different, and I, I'm not sure if there's yet any research on it. Um, but I have a lot of acreage here and a lot of sunlight, so if anybody wants to get rid of rope, I'll just lay it out in the sun for three or four days. <laughs> there you go. Well, I've seen a thing. Sorry, go ahead, Tom. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, manufacturers have been, you know, making recommendations for this for quite a while. CMC and PMI both have pretty well documented uh, uh, ways to deal with this, as well as the caving world, which has been, you know, struggling with white years. So they've been decloning their gear after every caving trip in most of the U.S. states now for a while, um, for quite a long time. And, you know, uh, the, the one part bleach to nine parts water. And you got to have the right kind of bleach, of course, not the perfumey, you know, bleach, the real bleach. Um, the, same thing with the hard goods in terms of wiping it down, all that stuff, that's pretty normal. But you do have to be careful because some of the things that destroy bloodborne pathogens on hard goods or hard services um, actually eat soft goods. So you do have to make sure you read the label um, and make sure you're using the right stuff for the right thing. So like when we clean the litter, uh, and we're concerned about bloodborne pathogens. We have one one uh, substance we use on the metal parts, and then we have a different substance that we use on the soft good parts. So that's interesting. And you broke in and out there a bit, but you're saying one part bleach and not you know perfumey bleach, but like real one part real bleach to nine parts water for cleaning the majority of this sort of equipment. Yeah. Uh, if you're using bleach on things like rope or harnesses. Um, make sure you get a good solid rinse, a couple rinses there, because you don't want that bleach to stay in there. And most manufacturers only kind of recommend doing that once or maybe twice. But in the caving world, they've been bleaching things dozens of times. 
and it definitely affects the appearance and uh, the plasticity of anything that's got nylon or polyester in it. But there's not been a, a, a substantial bit of research on things that have been, you know, decontaminated dozens of times and then pulling them and testing them. You know, that's there's a little bit out there on it, but it's all backyard testing. Generally speaking, the more you contaminate things, the weaker they become. So that's interesting because if there is a small, you know, hiccup in the delivery of goods and fire departments and paramedics and police teams are using these goods and they are getting exposed to COVID-19, they're going to, I mean, primarily in the fire department, we just threw stuff out and bought new stuff. It's, it, we didn't decon anything generally. We just tossed it and got new things. And I don't think that's going to be able to happen quite as readily anymore. So some of these organizations that didn't decon things in the past and just, you know, tossed and bought, as those items get more and more scarce, may have to start looking at decon efforts. Yeah. A um, couple other quick questions that were in here. Um, Tom, you said on the Sprat board, Sprat suspended of the RATS certification requirements and what does that mean for industries served by rope access? Um, there's a lot of pre, uh, what do you call them? They, they're like a, a safety vendor that you have to register with to do a lot of work on a lot of big sites, some of the big mining and petrochemicals we work for. And of course, they want to see those up-to-date certificates or we get a, a red rating or a negative rating on those sites and are unable to work on those job sites. So... You know, as our, you know, tickets expire and the organization that holds the ticket has allowed that, you know, for you to get certified as soon as, you know, reasonably possible, what's that spinoff? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I said on the board, I'd really rather hear first. <laughs> You're, what? I'm sorry. Uh, I just I sit on the spread board, so I would rather hear Jack and Craig's opinions before I weigh in. Because <laughs> go ahead, Jack. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the Spratt made that decision um, to do it, and, and I feel like, you know, if they got if if these people who you know if it expires tomorrow, a lot of the people that are out there doing rope access work are usually doing it pretty regularly. So they're staying up to par with the skills by doing it on the job site, eight, 10, 12, 15 hours a day, whatever it might be, if they're out there. And I got friends out there right now who are working and they're, they're doing those skills. I mean, they're going to stay, they're going to stay in practice. I mean, maybe not with pickoffs because with pickoffs, you really, everybody has to practice pickoffs. I mean, a lot of times they practice pickoffs on the job site when the job's over with. Most of the time they just go drink beer. But it's something where the, the basic skills to do the job, the people are going to be doing it over and over every week. They're not going to lose that, lose that memory of the, of the skill. So if I'm an employer and I'm going to bring in some guys and it's, a, it's a guys who would do it regularly, I'm not really going to worry about that that much. I think it's uh, it's for people that have the Sprat certification, uh, who are salespeople like me, or other people who just kind of have it because it's just something to throw in the toolbox. Um, you know, those people aren't really going to be doing that much 
that work. Uh, they just have it to have it. Maybe they're a full-time arborist and they're doing arbor work, but they have the scratch cert because it's, uh, it's, it's cool and something to add to it. It's not a big concern. Um, so I think the, the, main, the people who are hiring rope access guys, I, I don't see a big concern because those guys are doing it on a weekly basis. Yeah, okay. Mark, this is, I, I'm with Jack that even, you know, Sprat, CPR, first aid, whatever training I, and certification you want to pick, um, that, that the, the certifying body essentially at some point had to pick an arbitrary cycle of the training. And, and having to extend that a few months for people who are active in the industry I don't think it has any negative impact. Uh, there, there's probably no science to picking a certain time frame. So letting people who are working continue to work and letting things lapse and then having bringing them back when, when the time is right, I, I don't have any red flags with that. So there you go, Tom. Well, Tom, cool. how about, instead of putting you on the spot, we ask you about having Sprat send out a letter to the business um, members the, you know, the corporate members that basically indicates, you know, that something that we could send to our clients, the oil refineries, the, um, you know, the uh, building envelope people, those types of companies that we work for that basically does state, hey, because of these unprecedented times, we are allowing our members this grace period they're still, you know, they're allowing the certification to hold so that we can go to these individuals with something official and say, hey, we can still do work. And as soon as, you know, this situation ends, we'll get ourselves back to where we need to be. But as of right now, everybody can still go and do some work. Yeah. So um, the letter that uh, the board sent out on March 16th, um, we did two things. We said that um, we're going to indefinitely uh, suspend requirements for po for folks to, uh, you know, recertify in, in the near future. But not just that, um, it's a variance to Section 3.3.1 of safe practices. And basically what they're saying is if you're going to be uh, expired, you're going to have to do a risk assessment and also follow safe practices. And also as a temporary variance on cert requirements, section 552, um, that basically experience that you're documenting in your logbooks, we're allowing you to, uh, which normally is not the case. You can't accrue hours if you have an expired certification in your logbooks. You can't count those hours towards your next level. They made a variance to that section as well for the that requirement. So there's two two things that, you know, kind of, um, we had to make a temporary variance on for this to fly. But the big thing is, is if folks are doing work, they're following safe practices and they're writing risk assessments to address this and, and doing refresher training and documenting. For right now, we're saying is that's as good as we can hope for. And I will say that, you know, just take this for what it's worth. IRATA has taken the opposite stance. They are not allowing people um, to work with expired certs. They're saying that you still have to do a full week of training and do your certification on a regular, uh, you know, time frame, just as normal. And they don't accept expired certs right now for work. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just things that in the, in the roping world we have to be aware of. And again, Mark, I think if we could, that letter is available on the sprat.org website. Excellent. Um, and if you, you need to hand that over to your employer, 
or who's hiring you or, or your AHJ. Um, you know, if you rope access is part of your requirement for re response, um, you can send them that and just basically say, hey, we're still writing risk assessments. We're doing documented refreshers. Here's the two sections that we're uh, varying from. And, um, you know, we'll revisit this as soon as it's practical. Right and Tom, does that, does that statement give a date of last certification? So someone who was expired three years ago now can't use that letter, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. It was effectively on um, um, which. It was like last Wednesday or Thursday or something, I thought. Uh, basically from March 11th, because that's when uh, the World Health Organization characterized COVID-19 as a pandemic. So from March 11th until we can change that. Yeah. So you broke up there a bit, but I'm just going to reiterate that, Tom. That was March 11th when it was declared a pandemic moving forward. It's being allowed. Yes. Okay. Um, to wrap this up, uh, I'm just going to summarize a few things, and I got a couple of questions to hit more on the personal level with the COVID-19. But so generally with training, we're saying, you know, reach out and talk to your training providers. If you're listening to this, they're going to be hurting for revenue um, on one. And number two, at some point, those perishable skills, that rope access, that rope rescue skills need to be reinforced or retrained to emergency responders and workers that are out there using it. The training providers are going to need to probably collaborate a little bit more in order to ensure that travel stays at a minimum. They're going to have to take some more um, precautions in their training sites, you know, less number of students, more cleanliness using mannequins that they can, you know, clean and reuse between segments as opposed to keeping people within that six feet. And, um, you know, just looking out and hopefully within the next 30 days or 45 days that, you know, this starts to move forward again. Uh, regards to equipment, there may be a slowdown in equipment based on supply for decontamination, one part bleach to nine parts water. It's only going to work a couple of times and then you're going to have to start looking at different stuff. Sprat has made variances for certification it's on the sprat website pull it down send it to your employer send it to the people your clients that you're working for does that pretty much sum up that first portion nice job man we could have done this in an email nice exactly <laughs> yep so last but not least um and there's going to be four kind of different opinions i think on this one how do your families feel i mean we all work in the rope industry all livelihoods are being affected and half of us on this podcast also work in the emergency response industry where livelihoods are also certainly being affected. So Craig, over to you. I mean, how is this impacting your family? Um, it's a, it, 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 it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, we've been wise and that we've, we've set ourselves up over, over time to be able to weather these kinds of things, but it certainly impacts how we live our life. Uh, lots of time at home with the kids right now. Uh, you've got uh, young kids, don't but, you? But my you, big, sorry, Craig, you've got young kids. How are you explaining this to them? Uh, so I had an interesting issue the other day. Um, we have, we're in a small town and I took them down to the park and the previous day there was no one else in the park and it was great. We went down yesterday and there are a bunch of middle school boys who 
um, define invincibility <laughs> or, or, their, or their belief of invincibility um, running around and touching everything and playing football. And I, I had to tell my kids that we, you know, we, we've got to go home. And all I could tell them really, I didn't, didn't know how to do it, was there are a lot of really thick people right now and they know about germs and i said this is a great place where there there could be a lot of germs so we want to stay away from it and we went home um i think they're st still at that age where anything that's fun is fun and it doesn't really matter what we're doing as long as we're doing something i it'd be a challenge if i had high school kids i i do not envy those people that are trying to keep high school kids home right now tom tough it's tough it's I'm watching my daughter and my wife play Battleship right now, and uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely affected. Uh, I have three teenagers at home, actually, so um, it's it's definitely a challenge for us to all be in the same space at the same time. We're all pretty individualistic people, all of us, including my wife, and so for us all to be stuck in the same space for extended amount of time is something we're not used to <laughs> at all. And from a first response point of view, Tom, you're still working with uh, Alpine Rescue. Uh, is there any stress that that brings into the the house? Um, not yet. I don't think for a lot of us here it's really hit home because we don't know someone who's contracted this or uh, seen firsthand what it looks like uh, when someone is sick with this and what hospitals are dealing. But I have we have so many friends that are in in the medical profession that are out there every day right now dealing with this on the front lines and um, you know. If you're going to be a complete germaphobe and just shut yourself away on an island for a year, you know that's one option. But in reality, we all interact in very way, varied ways that we don't even know about. Where if this is really as communicable as they say it is, we've probably already been exposed at this point just to living a normal life. So at some point, you know, you're going to have to deal with the the, the notion that your friends are sick or. You know, and then somebody's going to get the blame for who made them sick. And that's going to be a whole other psychological aspect of this that we're going to have to all navigate as a family. You know, when if one of us gets sick, how did it notifying the people that we interacted with and going through all of that? So it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. All right, Beth. Jack, you've got a bit of a different spin on this right now. Do you want to uh, chat about that? Yeah. Um... You know, camp, camp, camp USA, camp USA is, is, is all working from home. Um, we're shipping stuff out and have one customer service there. Um, if if I need to go to the office for stuff, I just go get it. I don't get near anybody. I wash my hands a bunch of times and load up my truck with gear and, and come home. And, uh, you know, for me, though, personally, you know, I've, I've got a you know 16-year-old kid here who has a job. Um, he needs to work. He needs to uh, make money. And the bad thing is, is it's the grocery store. So it's trying uh -oh. to get him to understand the, that he's basically in the soup uh, every time he's there. Uh, we pretty much have it set up as when he comes through the door from the job, he goes straight to the bathroom. He strips his clothes down, puts them in a bag, immediately takes a shower, takes that bag of clothes down and puts them in the laundry. But, you know, this again, it's a 16 year old kid and. You know, he's pretty smart, but he's still a kid. And it's like, oh, you know, he kind of knows the rules and he's seeing the rules of how the grocery store is dealing with it. But, you know, he, he needs the job um, to do. Uh, and and, and it's, 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 Tiffany is still having to go out and tutor. I mean, 
the school shutting down didn't help because she does some subbing to fill in the blanks, but uh, she still has private tutoring clients and some of them she's doing uh, via FaceTime and others. Um, their ha- the house is sequestered, so they don't have a problem with her coming over. But, you know, she's going from one home to another home to another home. Um, and she has to do that to pay the bills. Um, and she's also, you know, teaching more classes in China that she does for a company. But that's that's easy because that's just via web. But it's waking up at four in the morning and sometimes working until nine or ten o'clock at night uh, doing that. So it's funny. I'm more concerned about catching it from them than catching it anywhere else. Uh, because they're out and about, and I'm pretty much in a training facility with nobody around, just playing on rope and washing my hands before I touch anything from one rope to the next rope um, and things like that. So uh, it's uh, so what you're saying, Jack, is is your life really hasn't changed? My life, yeah, it, my my life has changed because I don't want to catch this thing, and um, you know, uh, the climbing gym's closed, so now it's hangboarding and. Uh, you know, walking around the house all day with a 30 pound pack on, that's a good way to work out too. So, right on. Mark, Mark, will you, will you give Yo. me another 20 seconds? You're going to have 30 seconds. <laughs> Excellent. So I just, I, I want to make the explicit non-selfish plea to, to our audience here that applies to every business involved in this call and every person involved in this call. Um, if you're out there and you were going to buy gear, still place the order even if, even it's gonna, even if it's going to back order on you. That's revenue. If you were going to if you were going to schedule training in 3 or 4 months, um still book that training. The the more people do that 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 are on the spending side of this to try to keep business as usual, we'll keep revenue moving for all the companies involved and keep that little economy rolling. So that's that's just my plea is is it is look at the future, book for the future, plan for the future. It's going to come back, but but try to keep that little economy rolling. I understood. I agree 100%. I agree. I think uh, that can't be emphasized enough. It's, uh, it's business that kind of keeps everybody employed and does keep the economy rolling. And putting it on hold for a month is definitely, or, you know, six weeks or whatever is definitely going to have some repercussions and people can all help out the best way they can. Has anybody else got any other points they want to throw out there? All right. I appreciate everybody coming on. I know it was short notice. We'll get this one out. I think there's a couple tips and some information people can take away from this and hopefully put them at ease a little bit and allow them to plan. And I think a lot of the problems in the, and the, the worry that the anxiety that people have is because they are unable to plan. And I mean, this is changed mm-hmm. daily. There's daily briefings and updates from government and it changes the goalposts on a daily basis. And people get anxious about that because they can't plan. So hopefully this does provide some planning ability for people. Absolutely. And I think if I can add anything to what Greg said, it's that, you know, keep your shit together and have a sense of humor for god's sakes you know it, you got to be able to smile while this is going on or, or people will literally start losing their minds so um you know laugh a little bit it, it's not the end of the world as a lot of people like to you know portray it it's it's terrible and it's bad but you know what you know humor goes a long ways and 
those of us that work in the medical profession or EMS know that gallows humor is a big part of that. And that turns some people off if they're not familiar with what that is and what it, what it looks like. But just, you know, have some patience with folks that are expressing gallows humor on social media and things like that. Cause everybody has different coping mechanisms for this crazy shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, life goes on. Keep living. Exactly. Yep. Thank you, gents. And uh, appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks guys. guys. Take care. See you guys. Be safe. Thank you guys. Peace out. All right. Uh...